Somebody who keeps track of these things told me that this is the 52nd sermon on 1 Kings. So apparently it only takes one year for me to preach through 1 Kings. If I were to preach it every Sunday, which I did not. <clears throat> well, we come to the end of 1 Kings. We've read the whole book together. We've studied all but the last, what, 12 verses and these last 12 verses don't really feel like the ending of a book, do they? We read it. You, you saw the uh, description of King Jehoshaphat in Judah, the son of Asa. And then the description of the king of Israel after Ahab, Ahab's son, Ahaziah. And they're just brief little descriptions uh, a couple of odds and ends thrown in about the rule of, um, of Jehoshaphat and the judgment that we have become used to of whether the king was good or bad and whose footsteps he walked in. And, and then the book ends. Well, I have news for you. That is not the end of the book. The book just keeps going. What we call 1 Kings as one book and 2 Kings as another book, that's just one book. But there's only so much that you can fit on one big, long, rolled up piece of paper. And then you've got to write on another piece of long, rolled up piece of paper. That's a scroll. That's, that's why it's split into two. So the story continues, the book continues in 2 Kings. And yet, it wasn't just... Eh, we'll just stop it here, right? There really is kind of a transition that's happening here, and so uh, we'll look at that transition, not pretending as though we've come to the end of the story, but trusting that those who uh, did the splitting up of chapters and verses which happened much later, and those who uh, split first and second kings and first and second Samuel and first and second chronicles were actually paying attention and had some thought to where would make a good spot to split. What is the transition that we see here? As First Kings ends, well, the way I would describe it is, this is the end of any hope for Israel. This is the end of any hope for Israel, and it is the beginning of the end for Judah. That might sound a little bit weird, because after all, Jehoshaphat is described as a good king in this passage, right? And yet, Jehoshaphat is really the beginning of the end of those good kings, and it's through his foolishness that this transition really takes place. So let's talk about Jehoshaphat and what we see of him a little bit here and also elsewhere in the Bible. We have heard of Jehoshaphat before, we saw him in our previous uh, study of this chapter where he is allied with Ahab and where he allows Ahab to make a complete fool of him, uh, convincing him to dress up as the king while Ahab secretly goes dressed as a regular soldier as they go into battle together. It almost gets Jehoshaphat killed. That's not the biggest problem, though. It just begins to show the level of foolishness at which Jehoshaphat was willing to operate. He also allowed Ahab to convince him to go into battle in the first place against Micaiah's prophecy that it would lead to destruction. And of course it does. It did. Jehoshaphat was mentioned earlier 
in the book as well, just briefly where it was describing Asa. So Asa was his father. And as we switch back and forth from studying, we've got focusing on Israel, then sometimes focusing on Judah, telling the story of one king, and, and the kings don't overlap nicely, right? They, they don't just line up. They, they've got these. And so if you're going to tell the story of Ahab, for example, which is what we've largely been focusing on, you're covering multiple kings. And then you go back and you, you, know, you start with Jehoshaphat a little bit back in time. And so that's what we see here. And it's why he was brought up chapters and chapters ago under uh, the ending of Asa. Because what happened, what happened in Judah when Asa died? Well, his son Jehoshaphat became king. We'll get to him later. That's basically what happens, right? Now we get to him. We've gotten to him under Ahab because Jehoshaphat took part in Ahab's story. Now we get to Jehoshaphat proper. Okay, what do we learn about Jehoshaphat. We learn some good things. Jehoshaphat did not slouch toward Gomorrah. That's the title of a, uh, a book. What does it mean? Well, you're not seeing a man who is sort of just sleepwalking into sin right? Allowing himself to be uh, dragged into sin and temptation. You see a man who is, who is actually personally pious and holy in spite of his foolishness. Now that's something that I think we have trouble with. His foolishness is culpable and yet, what does the Bible say about him? You know what culpable means, kids? Hmm. I'm using big, bigger words than you're used to. You know what foolishness means, right? Foolishness is when you reach up and just put your hand on the stove when it's on, right? Oops, that was a dumb idea. Now my hand is burned. Okay, that was foolish. And if you are, you know older than three, you ought to know better. And so your, your mom and your dad might not have much patience for you if you just decide to put your hand on the top of the stove. What were you thinking? They might say. Put some ice on that. What were you thinking? Because why? Because your foolishness was culpable. You were old enough to know better. There is some blame that goes with you. Yeah, I mean, when you're reaching into the stove and taking pan out and you touch the side, oops, oh, wow, that was... <laughs> That's a little bit different, right? But if you just decide, I'm going to grab the hot coal out of the fire, well, that's culpable. You are blameworthy for doing something that stupid. Doesn't mean we have no compassion for you. It just means you're also going to get a little bit of impatient yelling from your mother or father, right? Don't do that. Don't be so stupid. Okay, well, that's kind of what I want to say to Jehoshaphat. You're a good king. Why do you have to be so stupid? Wisdom and foolishness. I was reading a, uh, I was reading a commentary... And one of the things that it said is that uh, experience is the mistress of the fool. So, or does it say mistress? Or does it say no, uh, yeah, in terms of the one who teaches. Okay, experience is what teaches the fool. So you have to, if you're foolish, you have to learn because, I mean, you have to learn by making the mistake. And then you finally learn, oh yeah, mom said it was hot, I should have listened, right? The wise man learns wisdom 
without having to go through the experience of doing the foolish thing first. That would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> Heard that whisper. How many of us can say we are the ones that learn when we are told, rather than learning by doing the thing that we're told not to do and then thinking, ouch, yeah, you know, that, that kind of, that, that had a bad, bad result. I, I think I won't do that from now on. And, and yeah, we learn, but we learned a little bit harder, a little bit later than we really needed to. We learned by experience. Jehoshaphat learns something by experience in this passage, and uh, it's kind of only hinted at a little bit. Um, it's these ships, okay, these ships. They go to, uh, he, he, he had ships made, and they were going to go to Ophir for gold. Now, do any of you kids remember where we've heard of the gold of Ophir before? Anybody? Yeah? You got Solomon. Yes, yeah, Solomon had ships made and got gold from Ophir. Isn't that interesting? So, so Jehoshaphat is actually uh, seeking to be like Solomon in some way, right? I mean, maybe you could just say he's seeking money. But what happens? Unlike Solomon's ships, which go to Ophir and bring back tons and tons of gold, Jehoshaphat's ships never make it out of harbor. Jehoshaphat's ships were broken at Ezion Geber. Verse 49 says, Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing. Now, okay, clearly the storytelling is a little bit out of order here, the way we are used to storytelling, right? Or is it? Do you, do you ask for your people to be able to go on the ships after the ships are destroyed? Or before? Before, right? Well, we learn a little bit more about this story in Chronicles. So if, if we were to go and read that passage in Chronicles, what we find out is that um, the reason that the ships were destroyed is because God was displeased with Jehoshaphat for making this alliance with Ahab. The prophets come and read Jehoshaphat, the riot act, for being such a fool. So then in our passage we read, then Ahaziah the son of Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, let my servants go with your servants in the ships, but Jehoshaphat was not willing. Okay, so what seems to be happening here is that Ahab says, well, let's just try again. And Jehoshaphat had learned his lesson by experience. Oh no. <laughs> I am not willing anymore. Now that the Lord has, has told me and I have learned my lesson, the ships have all been destroyed, and all that investment is lost, I'm done with that game. And so he learns. Ahab, in contrast, who we have been studying, of course, never learned. He never learned. It didn't matter how many times he learned that the Lord is God, that the Lord is powerful, that the Lord is merciful, that he can turn to the Lord. That the, he never learned, did he? Even experience wasn't enough to teach him to actually worship the Lord, to actually turn to God. He continued to worship Baal and Asherah. He continued <clears throat> to give his wife freedom to do whatever she wanted, whatever terrible, wicked things she planned. He went along with her into wickedness. And in the end, of course, God finally judged him. His mercy, his patience were at an end. 
and Ahab died. Jehoshaphat is a good king. He learns, even if it takes the prophets telling him, don't be an idiot, quit it, right? And even if it takes the ships all being broken up before they can go anywhere, Jehoshaphat is a good king. He learns his lesson. It's easy for us to look in judgment on Jehoshaphat, right? Seriously, you're going to make an alliance with Ahab? Ahab. But remember what else we know about Ahab. Ahab was successful. Ahab had military power. Ahab had success on the battlefield. Ahab had grown wealthy. Ahab built wonderful cities and and beautiful buildings for himself. The kind of guy it's handy to have an alliance with, you know? Can you imagine being tempted to make an alliance with Ahab? I can. Jehoshaphat was a good king. He avoided sin. He walked in the footsteps of his father Asa. And who was Asa? What was Asa like? Well, if we go back and read it, Asa was a righteous king, a good king who served the Lord. Asa had undertaken to uh, begin the work, and we read of Jehoshaphat completing the work of casting out the Sodomites who were in the land, or the male cult prostitutes. It's the same word that's translated in uh, earlier in when Asa is described as male cult prostitutes. What kind of a crazy land did they live in? Male cult prostitutes. This is in the Bible. Multiple times in Kings, discussion of this. Really not much of a different land than we live in. We understand the power of desire. We understand the power of sexual temptation, right? And so we we are not surprised that uh, such an overpowering thing that seems so difficult for us to tame can be seen as a way to reach some sort of higher plane of existence. To make it worship. Right? To make it into a cultic practice. To make it into a religious experience. Because it's powerful. Because it makes you feel as though something is great and going on. This, of course, is not the only thing that, is, that has this sort of power that we can make into religion. But, but if you look at the... Um, If you look at the Eastern religions, uh, many of them have sex as a central part of the religious practice, the experience. The thing is, sex is religious. It is spiritual. And it is worship. There's nothing wrong with it. when we begin to worship it, when we begin to worship man, when we begin to 
make idolatry out of the creation, those who have been created rather than the creator, then all of a sudden it becomes totally perverse. And that's what we see here, right? Jehoshaphat is a good king. He sees the damage that that does to the worship of the Most High God. And he says, no, we're not having that here. We're not having any of that in my nation. And he finishes the work that his father had begun. He walked in the footsteps of his righteous father, Asa. I hope you young men learn something good from Jehoshaphat here. Think of your father and the good things that he has taught you, the good things that he has modeled. I know you can see all the bad things that he's modeled, all the things that he's done wrong, but can you see the good things? Can you see what is righteous and holy and true about your father and about how he has lived? And can you be described in 20, 30, or 50 years as having walked in your father's, your righteous father's footsteps? What a glorious thing to be described as walking in your father's footsteps when your father is a righteous man. Of course, the contrast is that Ahaziah walks in his father's footsteps too, and Ahaziah was a wicked man, and Ahab was a wicked man. It is all too often the case that we do not have righteous fathers. And then, dare I say, it's even harder to not follow in your father's footsteps when he is wicked than it is to follow in your father's footsteps when he is righteous. Ahaziah, of course, is the contrast. But let's go back to Jehoshaphat. Personally holy, walking in the footsteps of his righteous father. Though he did not do what? And this is a common refrain in Kings. Any of you kids know what he did not get done? Yeah, Judah. He did not remove the high places. There was still work that he could have done that he did not do, isn't there? Oh boy. I think about this phrase regularly. Certainly over the last year I've thought about it a lot. Did not remove the high places. Where are the high places that we have not removed in our lives? The work that we have given up on, the work that we have left undone because it just seems like it's a bridge too far. He cleansed the land of the Sodomites, but he didn't stop the sacrifices and the burning of incense on the high places. Nevertheless, he walked in all the way of, his, of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing right in the sight of the Lord. However, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. Jehoshaphat is not a perfect king, is he? There has never been a perfect king except our King Jesus. It would be wonderful to have a king as good as Jehoshaphat. And yet, oh, and yet... 
He suffers the consequences of his foolishness, doesn't he? And then the people suffer the consequences of his foolishness as well. There are many ways for us to be fools while still being personally holy. And those consequences can be disastrous from our foolishness in spite of our personal holiness. Many today think that we can compromise, compromise with evil, compromise on what we're actually going to say, what we're actually going to speak of God's word, compromise in little ways here and there without consequences. As long as we stay personally holy, as long as we don't ourselves give ourselves to sin, what does it matter if we oppose it publicly in others, in the church as a whole? Can't I simply stay holy myself? Can God really expect more of me than that? If I stay personally holy myself, won't it go well with me? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it will. But if you stay personally holy and also you're an idiot, I'm sorry, but there are going to be consequences. And in some ways, Jehoshaphat's foolishness is culpable. He's not totally innocent. The prophets make that clear to him. His alliance with Ahab was a disaster. And it leads ultimately to his kingdom after he dies being on the brink of utter ruin. One, two, Three foolish decisions can be disaster for the entire nation. You know, I personally wouldn't ever have married a non-Christian, but, you know, my son, I mean, what can I say, you know? I don't want to I don't want to become his enemy by by being speaking too hard on this issue. And plus look at the benefits. There's real benefits. This is a good alliance. It'll be good for the business. The family business will be strengthened because of this. And think of all the good that we can do with that money that we'll, that we'll make through this alliance. Well, it almost is the undoing of Judah. Maybe it's uh, better to say, you children... Most of you will grow up. Most of you will marry. Who you marry makes all the difference. So mothers, fathers, don't be like Jehoshaphat. Don't be using their marriages for your own gain in some way. Right? But children, ask your parents who you should marry. Ask your parents. Don't just go off on your own and decide, hey, you know, I think I'm, I like so-and-so, I'm going to do that. It makes all the difference in the world. I can't tell you how many times I have seen people marry 
And it has meant the end of happiness for entire families. The sadness and the consequences for Jehoshaphat's family in marrying off his son <clears throat> to Ahab's son are truly, truly sad. So Jehoshaphat is a good king, but he's foolish in major ways, in bad ways that have terrible consequences. I want you to think about compromise again. Compromise can be personal compromise with sin in your life. I'm not going to sin in this way, but I'm going to sin in, in just this littler way right here. That will, be, that will be better, that will be safer, that will not, that will, that won't, that won't have bad consequences. Surely God doesn't care if I do this as long as I don't do that. Compromise can also be simply allowing for people to continue thinking, saying, believing all kinds of untrue, destructive, wicked things without ever feeling that you have any responsibility for your neighbor. And so, you know, I'm personally going to be holy, but I am never going to speak a warning to this person. I personally am going to be holy, but I am never going to call this person to repentance. Why not? How is that compromise? That's compromise because you think that you're totally separate from your brother. See, Jehoshaphat thinks that way about Ahab. He thinks, oh, I'm totally separate from him. Right? Yeah, I mean, we're in an alliance, but like, what he does isn't going to affect me. As long as we keep that alliance, right? He can be wicked. I'll be holy. Be not deceived. God is not mocked, bad company corrupts good morals. So I want you to think about compromise. I want you to realize that refusing to speak to others is often the compromise that we make. Refusing to speak to others. Refusing to speak God's truth is the compromise that we make because we think it'll give me peace and it won't require anything of me. What I want you to see is that uh, what your coworkers do affects you. And you know this the moment that I say it. Oh, well, yeah, of course what my coworkers does affects me. Well, you know, imagine for a second that uh, you're working for a company that deals with money and somebody is uh, embezzling money. You think that's going to have an impact on you? Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have an impact on you, isn't it? Because when they get caught, the whole company might go up in flames. And there goes your job. See, we're not, we're not totally disconnected like we think we are. We can't simply live disconnected and say, you know, well, what I do and what they do are totally different things. Yeah, you, you're responsible for what you do. 
and you'll bear the consequences yourself. And they're responsible for what they do, and they will bear the consequences themselves. And yet, the consequences for Jehoshaphat's actions, the consequences for Ahaziah's actions, affect their entire kingdom, don't they? When the prophets come and speak to Jehoshaphat about the ships, when we read about that in Chronicles, we realize that Jehoshaphat has suffered the consequences of his foolishness. He's also suffered the consequences of Ahab's wickedness. They're connected. So who are we going to make peace with? Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Who are we going to make peace with? Who do we want to be our friends? Somebody rich, somebody powerful, somebody influential, Or somebody faithful. The consequences make all the difference. Jehoshaphat, of course, is, as I've said, in complete contrast to Ahaziah. Jehoshaphat might be dumb might make stupid decisions, stupid mistakes, suffer the consequences for him, but he is personally righteous. And that does much for him and for his kingdom. But Ahaziah, oh man. Ahaziah is king in Israel after Ahab. <clears throat> and he walks in the ways of three people, not just one, his righteous father, but no, three people. Who noticed who those three people were? Anybody notice? One was his father, the wicked father Ahab. One was, yeah, Jeroboam, the classic, because he was the one who set up the golden calves in the first place for them to worship, saying, you know, these are your gods. Don't go up to Jerusalem to worship. Stay here. And the third, out of right field, left field, what? Who? His mother, Jezebel. Walked in, walked in the ways of Ahab and Jezebel and Jeroboam, the triumvirate of wickedness. The one who started it, Jeroboam, right? The one who perfected it, Ahab, you know. There's never been a king as, as terrible as Ahab. And then, the one, the wicked mother, Jezebel, right? The one who was the kindling under it all. Ahaziah doesn't even learn from experience. He learns nothing by watching his father. What, I mean, what had just happened to his father? His father had been warned, he'd been told, he'd been judged, he'd been, he'd, the prophets had come. Elijah had made clear Micaiah had made clear he had seen God's mercy and patience when he did humble himself. And then he had seen, Ahaziah had seen his father, when he refused to humble himself, die. And he thinks that he can just continue to carry on and that there's not going to be any consequences for him. He's going to be king and it's going to be fine. 
And what does it say? His actions provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. Have you ever provoked somebody to anger? Provoked somebody to anger. <clears throat> now, there's lots of examples of this we can think of, right? But first, let's, let's back up. Where else do we see this phrase in the Bible? I want, a, I want a dad to answer this, not a kid. Where else do we see it, dads? Not, not, not the reference. What does it say? Where else do we see this phrase? Do not provoke your children to anger. Okay, so dads are given this command, this warning, do not provoke your children to anger because... That's a constant danger, a constant temptation for fathers to provoke their children to anger. There's many ways that we can provoke our children to anger. But basically, um, you know, I think it, it might even be fair to sum it up as not being a bully. Not being a bully. Now, there are ways that you wouldn't call bullying to provoke your children to anger, but that covers a pretty wide swath of them, right? And if you do sin in this way and you provoke your children to anger, what can they do about it? Not much. They can cry, right? Okay, now flip it all on its head. Have your children ever provoked you to anger? Now, children, it doesn't say don't provoke your father to anger. Does that mean that it's allowed? Are you allowed to provoke your father to anger? No. Why not? What are you required to do? Yeah. Honor your father and your mother. That's the opposite of provoking your father and your mother to anger, isn't it? But if you provoke your father to anger, what can happen? A lot more than if he provokes you to anger, right? Because he has power and authority over you. And so if you provoke your father to anger, there will be consequences. Ahaziah provoked not his father to anger, God to anger. Can you imagine a more terribly stupid thing to do than to provoke the Lord God, the Creator, to anger? This is true wickedness. This is true foolishness, isn't it? I talked about fathers provoking their children to anger, children provoking their fathers to anger, because I wanted you to see, you know, that power difference totally changes everything about what's going on, right? So, we've watched a couple of the World Cup games, and some of them get a little bit Intense, right? People can get testy, feisty, angry, right? And so sometimes you'll see a little bit of retribution, a little bit of vengeance. It can be, uh, it can be sneaky grabbing of the jersey, and yeah, you know, that's that's not so much. But when somebody gets really mad, they might really throw an elbow. They might lift a cleat and shove it straight into you. It can, get, it can get bad, right? Or if you play hockey and you provoke somebody to anger, they might just throw down their gloves and start punching you. And so if you provoke somebody to anger in sports, there's generally going to be some consequence, right? 
It can be bad. It can be not so bad. It might, you might judge it worth it. But, now, if you provoke the ref to anger, it's a different story, isn't it? When you provoke the ref to anger, you get ejected out of the game, and there's no appeal. There's, it's just, that's it. Sorry, goodbye. Why? Because he has authority. He has power. Even provoking your sister to anger can have some consequences. I learned that when I was a teenager. Why is it that we like to pick on people and irritate them? I have not figured that out. My kids do it, and I wonder, why do you enjoy doing that? I, it's the stupidest thing. Don't bug each other. Don't pick at each other. Don't bother each other. You're liable to provoke them to anger, and you know what will happen? I'll tell you the story. I, was, I had a flashlight, and I was in, it was kind of fun, you know? But I really enjoyed just shining in my sister's eye. Come around the corner, flashlight in the eye. She hated it. I did it to her for a couple of hours when we were home, alone. Just wouldn't stop. You know what happened? I provoked her to anger. You know what she did? She came in the front door one time and I did it again and she'd had enough. She kicked me right between the legs. I had provoked her to anger and, and there were consequences. And I learned something that day. Don't do that. Don't provoke your sister to anger. Don't provoke your brother to anger. Don't provoke your mother or your father to anger. Don't provoke the other team to anger. Certainly don't provoke the ref to anger. Don't provoke your children to anger. But if we can learn that lesson, and I hope you all can learn from the wisdom of an older man, children, rather than having to learn from experience, doing it until somebody kicks you, that would be learning from experience, that would be the foolish way of learning. You could just learn from me telling you, don't do it. Listen, who's going to learn from experience? Who, who has already learned from experience? Okay. Have we really learned it, though? <laughs> Are we going to have to learn it again? Where was I? Oh, so, okay, listen. Don't provoke each other to anger, yes. Of all the things that you want to learn just from being told, don't provoke the Lord to anger. Don't provoke the Lord to anger. Simply repent. Humble yourself. And He will be compassionate. He will have mercy. And it doesn't matter how many times you have been sinning. And, and I know, you think, I must have provoked him to anger. I did the same thing this week that I said I would never do last week. I fell into sin the same way that I promised myself I would never. That I've, that... Yeah? We are sinners, aren't we? And yeah, if we continue to sin, there will be consequences. But you know, Jehoshaphat made lots of mistakes and it doesn't say that he was a terrible king or that he provoked God to anger. But Ahaziah, he was just intent on living for himself and the way he wanted to live and do what he wanted to do. And so he provoked the Lord to anger. Worship God. Confess your sins to him. Don't provoke him to anger. When he is provoked to anger, his wrath will be poured out 
and he will crush you with his rod of iron. That's not what you want to have happen. You do not want to walk in Ahaziah's footsteps, walking in the footsteps of Jeroboam, Jezebel, and Ahab, the triumvirate of wickedness. You want to walk in the righteous footsteps of your father, Asa. But not Asa. He's not your father. God is your father. God is your heavenly father. Walk in his ways and he will bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do not want to face your wrath. We desire instead that you would show us your graciousness, your loving kindness, your mercy. And so we confess that we deserve none of those things. We confess our surprise that we have not yet provoked you to anger. And yet, Father, we are not surprised because we know that you have poured out your wrath for our sins on your Son, Jesus Christ. And so it is that we come into your presence and pray, Father, help us. Help us to be at least as good as Jehoshaphat. Help us to at least be seeking to be holy in our own lives. And Father, even we pray in your mercy that you would help us not to be fools like he was. And that we would learn not just from experience, but that we would learn from the words of older, wiser men who have gone before us. That we would learn from true wisdom. That we would walk in your way and receive your blessings. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.